Boom. Hello and welcome to the Protector Nation podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to making the world a better place, making the world a safer place by making good people dangerous. In this podcast, we're going to study and understand what it takes to protect, to protect your family, to protect your loved ones, because we all know that you have a few basic needs, food, water, and shelter, but you also have the need to protect those things. In a world and society where evil runs rampant and is sometimes left unchecked, learning how to protect yourselves and your loved ones is becoming more and more important. And so we strive to raise the level of accountability to those who would do evil on this planet by making sure that the sheep, that the flock, is more well-versed in protecting themselves and their loved ones. If that sounds interesting to you, then sit back and enjoy the show. Out. Boom, what's up, you guys? Byron Rogers here for another episode. Today, I've got an honored guest, Jared Wehungi of Survival Edge Tactical coming at you guys. How are you doing, Jared? Good, good. It's an honor to be on. Thanks for the invite. Yo, it's an honor to have you on, man. You know, you're, uh, I, I do a lot of interviews. Everyone's awesome, but I'm always really excited when I can talk with someone who's kind of got that philosophy behind them and those multi, multiple layers, you know, because it's something I'm all about, man. I love that. Okay. Well, glad to hear. Yeah, I'm excited for this, uh, for this next hour or so here. Yeah, brother. Heck yeah, man. So, uh, so one of the things that drew me to kind of your brand and what you do is all the integrated, integrated combatives, you know, uh, understanding the different tools that protection professionals and even civilians can bring to bear in a situation. I know that there's been a big push within uh, America to buy firearms. And, um, you know, I really, to me, it signals that people are concerned with protection. One of the things I want them to really really also take into consideration is that we have so many tools within our hands, within our hands with edged weapons and different tools at our disposal. What would you say about understanding the different tools that someone has and force options? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You kind of summed it up well, summed up well, kind of what and how I personally like to teach. I see a, a lot of value in um, people understanding the use of force options that might be available to them. And a lot of that personally comes from my background as a, as a law enforcement instructor, a police academy instructor at one point. And um, basically understanding um, that not every situation defensively is going to be a lethal force confrontation. In fact, most defensive situations are not. And so being understanding you know, how to integrate your different force options and, um, and when and where to use which ones and being trained and equipped to prepare for those various force levels. Yeah, man, that's, uh, no, that's perfect and honestly, you know, so much of that does have to do with the software, like intangibles, you know, like, are you comfortable? And well, I'd say also to like your physical potency too. you know, like someone who weighs 110 pounds or 150 pounds might have to go to a tool before someone who weighs, you know, 225, 250. Um, but also, you know, how comfortable are people with using these other tools, you know, uh, before, you know, when I when all you got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail kind of party starts happening, right? <laughs> yeah, and you know, I've always been a believer that being equipped is important, but being equipped is not necessarily being prepared. You know, that's a it's a good step in the right direction, but you know, like you said, that the software portion of that, knowing uh, when and where to use what force levels, and then knowing how to use those force levels, the training side of the physical training side of that. Yeah, that's huge, man. No, I totally dig it. So first question, we always, I always like to dig deep and understand the man behind the work. 
you know, because that's really important. People see the gram, they see the cool websites and stuff that we put out, but, you know, what drives that? So who are you at your core, Jared? At my core, from a from a very, you know, just kind of a, a personal, not just a, a professional standpoint, but a personal standpoint, um, I, at my core, I am uh, first and foremost a, a family man, a, a provider and a protector for my for my wife and my children, and uh, and those that are close to me and that I have the opportunity or the, or maybe the uh, the um, duty to protect. And I'm a, I, I consider myself a disciple of Jesus Christ, so I, I'm a, I'm a man of faith also, and so those are kind of the things that really define who I am at my core. I love that, man. I think there's so much to be said for like the power that we get as protectors from these intangible things that you mentioned, you know, it's, I, I, I approach protection and uh, I think of it as the ultimate act of service, you know, being willing to stand between good and evil, being willing to put your life on the line, no greater love than this, that a man would lay his life down for his brother. You know, it's like, and then when you have that way of going through life and you have, you know, I'm also a follower of Jesus Christ, as you put it, and he's the only one that has never left me or forsaken me and gotten me through some things, man, you know, um, and you have your family behind you. You've got the best reasons in the world to fight. <laughs> exactly. And that's where the, you know, the, those mindset things really come into play. I mean, you know, it's, it's do I... And what am I willing to do to protect those that I love and, you know, and that, that make me who I am. And those are, you know, when you've got that, when that is part of your mindset pattern, um, you will do what is necessary to, to be prepared for that moment and, and, and think of it as not a, a um, what, you know, what if this will happen, but when this happens, am I ready for it? And if you've got that mindset of it will happen, it's just a matter of time, then you're going to prepare um, for that eventuality. 100%. And you're prepared to pay the ultimate price. You know when and what it's worth. Exactly. And there's so much that's been said about the spirit of a warrior. And these are some really important things when you start to talk about those, I think, spiritual powers that help you do more than what is physically possible sometimes or fight more or harder, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you look at different warrior cultures throughout the throughout um, you know, throughout history and even yeah. to today. And every warrior culture, you know, they, they have their spiritual understandings according to you know to what their what their belief systems may be, and and that is a big part of who the warrior is, and and that that's what prepares them to do what is necessary, even to the you know, even into the ultimate sacrifice to to protect what they are willing to protect and. And because they are, they do have those belief systems, they are at peace with um, making that ultimate sacrifice because they're, you know, they, they're, they're comforted in the knowledge of where they will be in the, in the hereafter. <laughs> yeah, man, that's good stuff. So how did you get into doing what you're doing, brother? Uh, into, um, sorry. Like, just how did you get into doing what you're doing? Oh, how, did, how did your career start, you know? What, what yeah, was... I mean, it, it, honestly, it started... As in my childhood, I, I always knew the direction I was going to go. Um, you know, I've got, you know, journals from when I was probably 10 years old and, you know, kind of outlining what I wanted to be. And I had, I just had that, that protective instinct, you know, it's, it was a part of, not only a part of who I am, but I, I grew up in the, the culture of my father in New Zealand, in the, in the, the Maori culture, which is, 
there's a lot of um, a lot of warrior elements and components to that culture, and so that was part of being um, uh, embracing that side of my culture included um, the warrior side of that culture, and so that started really young, and I, I I didn't really know if it was going to be a military or a law enforcement path at that age. I, eventually, it went towards the the law enforcement path, but I it was kind of uh, something that I I knew I was going to do. I just didn't know in what direction it would take me in. And so that's kind of how I started in this. Uh, and, and even before I went into law enforcement, because I was attracted to that, those war, the warrior cultures, I, I you know, got into martial arts as a, as a young child and, and took every opportunity I could to, to pursue that. And, and that kind of helped to formulate my current um, career path and, and who I am. That's beautiful, man. I couldn't agree more. I had the same experience growing up. You know, part of my thing was just like, knowing that I was a warrior and being like, well, you know, like father, how am I going to like serve and do good knowing that I'm a warrior, you know, uh, and really God has been faithful to give me lots of opportunities, you know, as a Marine and then as a professional protector. Uh, I think that's interesting though. At this point, I'm pretty convinced that there's a such thing as warrior DNA, like, like, cause I just, and then, and then when it's reinforced by culture, it's like nature and nurture is like, Sure. This is this is what you are. This is who you are, man. That's awesome. Yep. I talked to a lot of professionals that say that uh, in childhood they do. Absolutely, yeah. And it's kind of funny that the, the, my my childhood friends I grew up with in New Zealand that knew how I was then, and then they see what I'm doing now, and they just kind of laugh because they're like, "Yeah, still doing the same things," you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, I was that I was that kid, and it's kind of stuck yeah. with me. And like I said, it's just part of who you are, and, and you know that yeah. you the, the, make the choices you make as you grow up. Yeah. yeah, it's such a beautiful thing when you're able to find a vocation that fits with just who you are organically. It's like one of the most beautiful things in life, I think. Yeah, you got to awesome. do it. No matter what your vocation is, you, I think you you got to do something you enjoy. And you know, there's that old saying: yeah. if you enjoy what you're doing, then you'll never work a day of your life, kind of a thing. You know, and so you yeah. can and, and to be passionate about what you do, breathe creates an atmosphere for success. Atmosphere for success. So. Absolutely, uh, drives you up the mountain. What is your mission? What would you say is your mission these days? You know, um, from a professional standpoint, because my, you know, my, they, they're, they're integral. My professional mission is, is helping me to achieve my, my more my personal missions with my family and whatnot. But my, my professional mission at this point in my life and how things have evolved is to be able to, um, you know, um, reach as many individuals as possible um, and uh, increase, I guess to sum it up, increase the um, success and survivability of the individuals I have the opportunity to, to um, train. And uh, that started off with police and military, and then it evolved into more into the um, private sector also, you know, whether it be just a family man looking to protect his family or whether it's a, a, you know, a, a woman who wants to be able to be safe as she goes to and from work and her daily activities or um, a, you know, a, a professional in, in some kind of a security field that wants to be able to perform, perform as professional well or, or whatever. Uh, my, my, my mission is to um, increase the, again, the, the, the success of these individuals and their mission and also to enhance the survivability. And I say enhance the survivability because uh, I'm, a, I'm a realist and I understand that there are no absolutes in self-defense. You know, I'm not going to say if you do this, there's a 100% chance that you will survive every situation. No, I'm not going to say that, but I can say this. Right now, for example, this individual may have a 20% chance of surviving the situation. Well, after I've trained him, my, my mission is that he will have an 80% chance 
of surviving that same situation and I've enhanced his, his odds of survival and success. And, and for me as a professional, as a professional trainer and where I've been led to now, that's, that's my mission. I love it, man. That's like empowering the protector. It's that, it's that making the world a safer place by helping good people be able to protect themselves and what they love and that's Absolutely. good stuff. It aligns perfectly with, with everything that I'm trying to do on this world, man. I, uh, it's a, uh, it's a basic need of humanity, I think, that they don't ever talk about. It's being able to protect yourself and your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tactical background, brother. So, yeah. Now, so I, I really kind of began, um, I, I, so I got into law enforcement in 2000. Okay. Um, before that, and I'm not going to call this tactical at all, but um, yeah. before that, I, I, I attended university for about around a little over three years in Hawaii. And while I was working in in Hawaii, I, one one thing I was doing to help pay my pay my way through school was uh, I was working as a bouncer in Honolulu at a at a at a, a primarily military nightclub actually down. Uh, that's where it starts. That's, <laughs> that's often where it starts. And so it, it kind of was because that's when I started to realize um, you know the martial arts training that I had done prior to that started to be put a little bit more into practice and I started to understand certain principles and certain things to a deeper degree. Um, 2000, I, I you know, moved to, to Utah. Um, it was actually the end of 99 and in 2000, I got into law enforcement. Um, 2000, this kind of brief on how that went. 2003, I, I, as soon as I had enough time in my department, I tested with the, with the, the SWAT team, went through the selection and got onto our department SWAT team. Um, 2004, I was asked to go into our training unit and, and became our lead use of force instructor for the Salt Lake City Police Department. You know, empty oh. hand defensive tactics, less lethal weaponry. I was over the implementation of the taser program for the department, um, you know, batons, um, pepper spray. And I was also, you know, the law enforcement three gun, uh, you know, the, in addition to our other cadre, but I was part of the firearms cadre, handgun, shotgun, rifle um, uh, at the time. And uh, that's kind of, and, and until today, because I left full-time police work um, 10, 11 years ago, um, but I've been reserving on local SWAT teams since then. So I still reserve on um, a local municipal SWAT team here in, uh, in the Salt Lake Valley. Nice, man. Awesome. So, I mean, you've had, you've been in the game for about as long as I've been alive, man. <laughs> I've been around for a while. Yeah, 20, 21 years of collective in law enforcement to include full-time and reserve time. Outstanding. And then martial arts background. I know you got a bunch of, there's a whole bunch of another life there, right? Yeah, really. My special went to serve a volunteer mission for my church and um, uh, was, uh, you know, was a, a missionary for two years. And I was, and, and as part of our, our faith, we, we get assigned to different parts of the world as a full-time proselyting missionary. And I got assigned, called to serve in the Philippines. And that's when I discovered these martial arts that they have in the Philippines. And so 94 is where my Filipino martial arts journey began. And um, prior to that, I had, you know, as a kid, I did Shubinji Kempo. I was probably 10 or 11 when I started martial arts. I did some boxing when I was in, which was more, not, not real, um, it was more rugby field boxing. <laughs> There's, uh, uh, you know, there was, um, uh, and then, you know, from my, early 20s till today of I call myself a dabbler I've dabbled in western boxing Muay Thai and uh, jiu-jitsu um, Japanese and Brazilian jiu-jitsu 
but my my core and, and specialization is Filipino martial arts, in particular, Pekiti Tershakali, one of the Filipino martial arts. Awesome. No, that's cool, man. A dabbler. <laughs> yeah, right. So to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I started in 96. You know, I started getting to Muay Thai at that same time. Um, but then as time became less available, I had to let some go to kind of take a backseat to others. And so Filipino martial arts is the thing I stuck with. But since then, when I get chances to train, I'll still train in, in striking arts. I'll still train in, in jiu-jitsu, but it's by no means my area, of my field of specialization. I've, I've learned enough to... To, um, to to get myself in trouble, I guess, or, or get myself out of trouble, like, you know, from certain, you know, I, I understand enough of those arts to, to, to be, uh, to understand the fundamental combative principles of them and application. But like I said, I'm, I'm not going to win any um, jujitsu tournaments anytime soon, but uh, right. I, I do enjoy the value that that brings, those arts bring. Absolutely. The jiu-jitsu guys, you got to watch out for, man. Can't be saying too many crazy things. <laughs> jiu-jitsu players will come find you, right? Uh, it's a great, it's, like I said, they, they, they lend a lot of value. They, I think they lend a lot of value to the, the, the whole as, a, as an individual that's training for self-defense. 100%. Um, and then you're a Tuhan, or how do we say this? Tuhan? Correct. Tuhan. Tuhan is um, basically the, in in some of the Filipino martial arts that use that terminology, Tuhon is essentially the um, the highest rank, I guess you could say, to achieve. But then within the level of Tuhon, depending on which art, there may be levels of Tuhon within the art. Um, within the art that I've trained, the, the grand uh, master, I guess you would call him, he's called the grand Tuhon of the art. Um, and so, but he still holds that title of Tuhon also. Man, that's awesome. Heck yeah. How long did it take for you to get that uh, rank? So I was, yeah, I was promoted in 2011. So time total within the Filipino martial arts, I guess that was um, 17 years. Uh, is that right? Uh, 94. Um, so yeah, yeah, basically 17 years. And, um, but within the art of Pekiti Tersha uh, and the, the Pekiti Tersha family of arts, I had been at maybe 16 years. Uh, no, I don't think that's 15 years or so. Wow. But, um, but that's about how long I was training yeah, before I was uh, promoted to that rank. Outstanding, man. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, what would you say is your biggest takeaway from your law enforcement career? Um, at this point in my life, I would say my biggest takeaway um, was the importance of training. Okay, um, And it was pretty early on in my law enforcement career that I was pulled into um, the, the training unit, uh, police academy training unit. Uh, again, I had only been an officer for four years. So it was 2004 when I was assigned full-time to my training. So here I am, a four-year officer, teaching these salty old officers of you know, 10, 20 years how to basically how to do their jobs. And uh, so it was quite a responsibility. But from there, at that point, as I learned how to be a police instructor and trainer, um, I started to understand more the important, and that became basically my value as a, a a big part of my value as a as a police officer was um, teaching others how to do the jobs better. You know, uh, when it came to use of force, um, because use of force uh, when done right doesn't require any. Well, and I shouldn't say done right when things go right in combat, and a lot of things going right has to do with things being done right. But when right. things go right, you don't have to use any physical force. But that, that you, things don't always go that direction, no matter what the officer might do. 
So being prepared not only to one, protect the public that you're dealing with because you've got a responsibility as a law enforcement officer yourself, you know, as a, a uh, you know, as a law enforcement officer and make sure that you are and, and the other officers you're working with are going to go home at the end of each shift. So as I got into that training mode as a police officer, I, that's the biggest takeaway I started to understand was the value of training and, and ongoing training at that. Heck yeah. Awesome. Uh, biggest takeaway from military contracting. Um, I, I, it's kind of, it's very similar, uh, and that all came about in 2005. So 2004, 2005 is when I had a big evolution in the direction I was going as a as a professional. Um, I, in 2005, I was awarded a combatant a contract with the 19th Special Forces Group, who are um, headquartered here in the state of Utah, and I was awarded basically a, a year long contract to train the guys in combat, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and that contract continued through to 2011, you know, during the kind of the height of the wars there. And there was, there were funds, there, um, there was the, the, the operational pace for a lot of these guys was high. There was a lot of deployments. There were funds to, to make sure guys were prepared for those deployments. And so it was during that era that I was doing a lot of that contracting. I, I did more after that, but that was really when it was literally on a weekly okay. basis. And um, and kind of the same takeaway was the value of, but not just the value of training. What I learned with with, with military contracting was um, the uh, value of appropriate training because I was never in the military, and I, and I part of what allured me to them was not only my my martial arts background, um, my but was my law enforcement background, in particular working on the SWAT team at the time, and that gave me an understanding of. Um, direct action gave me understanding of working in the in a similar type of kit that the guys were, were working in. And so I, I was able to uh, adapt what I was teaching to be very mission specific. And so um, training that, you know, that, that the importance of, of being able to teach uh, appropriately to the mission of the individual or units that you might be training. And so that was part of that whole, one of the big takeaways I got from that also. Awesome. Yeah, that's <clears throat> I think something that we run into in the executive protection field that I, I believe still runs parallel moving from military to law enforcement to executive protection is just the different mission sets. You know, it's like direct action coming from like even being a Marine and, and taking over countries to understanding now, now we're policing a public. So we're not like, it's not uh, default aggressive, <laughs> you know, default yeah. aggressive. And then with EP, it's like we're leaving and trying not to disturb things all the time. So it's like default protection. You know, it's really interesting kind of thing for people to have to yeah. distinguish and move between. And that was, yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. That was kind of the evolution from 2005 to 2011 while I was running those contracts uh, for, for, for the military operators that I was training at the time they had an evolution in what they wanted me to teach them because it began in 2005 with, hey, we're special forces guys. Teach us how to fight with knives and teach us how to be, you know, these, to be dangerous, you know, <laughs> dangerous. Kill. Yeah, and, yeah uh, absolutely. And then a couple of years, you know, within a year or two after that, a couple of years after that, it was after guys had, you know, um, coming back from deployments and whatnot and were understanding the, the asymmetric warfare environment they were having to adapt to and whatnot. They were coming back and saying, hey, you know, that stuff that you're teaching to the police over there, 
actually, we need to learn some of that, you know, mm-hmm. that, um, that discretionary use of force and, and use of force decision-making and, and less lethal force options and things of that nature. So even for them during that period of time, the people that I was training at that time, there was an evolution in what, in what I call what their original perceived needs were and then what their actual needs were. And they don't always yeah. match up. Um, and when you're teaching, you know, for a living, you, you got to give people what they want, you know, they, what their perceived needs might be, but, you know, sometimes their actual needs might be something a little different. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. That's, uh, that's uh, part of the conundrum of, of being an instructor these days, especially if it's like in a civilian format, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so how has your like Maori warrior culture really inspired you on your work? There's certain tenants and things that you really, you know, hold dear that you've drawn power from. Yeah. So growing up, you know, in New Zealand as a, as a, um, you know, as a Maori and, and New Zealand's got interesting demographics. I'm, I'm what we would call a half caste Maori. So I am, I'm a, I'm a light skinned Maori because I'm half Maori and I'm half Caucasian. Mm-hmm. And, and, but, but most Maori in today in New Zealand are actually something similar to myself. There's so much mixed blood there, but Ethnic, you know, culturally, and 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 how you ethnically identify. I grew up Maori, and I had you know, and um, in a, in a predominantly Maori um, neighborhood and school, and um, that was you know, for us, um, our culture is very important to us when we grow up in New Zealand. We 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 understand, we 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 keep a hold of the good parts of our of our culture, and and a lot of that has to do with understanding you know your tribal roots your you know your tribal histories your your genealogy um your um and different um tikanga we call it the 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 um, traditions of our of our people and um and there's many facets of that you know i grew up learning cultural song and dance of the maori people i grew up learning the war dances that were pretty known for the haka was what's called Um, so that was something that you know and and that is something that breeds that warrior and kind of keep breeds that warrior spirit within the culture and, and the young people and as they grow up and the, the part of the culture that I always adhere to um, is that warrior culture the warrior um, uh, traditions of our people and that at my core has helped me to identify who I am um, and understanding a little bit of what I am and who I am and why I am the way I am is because of who of my cultural background and my my cultural identity and um and so this um you know that that's a big part of who we are and most maori in from new zealand like myself could tell you hey this is my tribe this is my sub tribe this is my you know these are my famous ancestors this is the name of the 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 ship that my ancestors arrived in new zealand on back during the, the polynesian voyages and and this is the name of the chief of that ship and these types of things and traditions are passed down uh, through through uh, you know, our tradition, and, and we we hold on to those things, and I hope that my my children will be able to pass that those that tribal knowledge and uh, cultural knowledge. And when I say tribal, the Maori people are very tribal in nature, and and the, the word Maori was never something that that we used as an ident uh, as an identity prior to you know a European contact. We I was Ngāpuhi was my tribe on my father on my you know my my paternal line and so I was known by my tribal affiliation and not as a Maori. Maori basically means it means a native man you know native human, and wow. uh, but um, so uh, that you know there's all of these things are, are a big part of who I am and, and help me to you know, with, uh, identify with that part of my 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 history my background my ethnicity. 
That's interesting, man. That's really cool. I wish I knew all that stuff about where I came from. <laughs> you know, it's, it's intriguing. And like I said, a lot of people, young people, you know, from even within my culture that don't grow up in New Zealand don't yeah. get the benefit of, of adhering to that stuff. But it, for me, it's very important. Yeah. That's awesome. No, that's really cool. What would you, uh, so getting into integrated combatives, man, uh, CQ fit FIT, what's the premise? How is it, how does it work? What do people need to know about it? So essentially that was something that came about during my time as a full-time police academy instructor. And I, and, and it's, it's this, so this goes back to, you know, 2005 ish. And at the time I was looking at uh, some frequent occurrences of use of force, particularly deadly use of force, for law enforcement, not only in our department, in our state, but also nationwide analyzing statistics. And, um, and, and that coupled with my background in Filipino martial arts, which is a, a knife-centric art, you know, knife and stick-centric art. And um, you know, seeing how many lethal force confrontations law enforcement was having in this country at basically arm's reach, um, five feet and in, Mm -hmm. uh, that distance accounted for about 50% and probably still does um, of law enforcement shootings, you know, um, lethal force encounters. And a lot of these shootings in involved some kind of struggle hand to hand, whether it was an officer defending himself or having to try to take someone into custody and the person pull a weapon or something of that nature. And so um, I started developing uh, a, a program for our department and um, and then working with the other trainers I was working with at the time and and a lot of it had to do with uh, uh, firearm usage uh, daily use of force within those close quarter distances and we went we basically went from base uh, essentially um, 20 feet into contact distance that's the that's the distances we were were dealing with with this program and um, it, it it was really we at the more we we played with it it became an integration I was using empty hand skill. I was using weapon-based skill, whether it was impact or edge weapon-based. And that may have been in the offensive application or the defensive side against those types of weapons. And then also how to um, uh, work what we would call the police solution, which was get, if, you can, if you can do it, fight your way to your gun in a, in a deadly force encounter and use that to solve the problem. And, um, and so this program started to evolve 2006. So I, and it, it, we actually, became a, a department-wide program. Uh, my, we taught that program to our entire department. 2006, I got invited to Germany to teach the program. <laughs> and, wow. Uh, yeah, so I, I went to the um, state of Hessen um, and started to develop a relationship with um, some police instructors there, but they had um, uh, come across me through some mutual contacts and I went and, and ended up teaching that uh, a few times, the program uh, in, in Germany. And... Um, and then started just kind of kept evolving the program, but force integration tactics is that basically that interface of empty hand, edge weapons, and and firearms at extreme close quarters. Awesome, man. That's cool, especially that you know they flee overseas and all that stuff to start building it out out there, man. That's really cool. And that was my first international um, seminar. Was in night in two thousand six there in Germany, and and things just kind of uh, you know started to expand from there. Wow. You mentioned on your website uh, the tactical art of Cali, modern application of the tactical art of Cali. Are there, how would you, are there modifications that are done to the more traditional art? How would you explain that? Yeah. So um, the tactical application of 
Kali, essentially, um, you've got what I would call the more traditional way to train the app. Okay? And then you've got um, more modern day application. And the nice thing about Kali or Pakiti Tersha Kali is um, we don't live in a, a, a very traditional box, meaning if I teach things that are outside of the way it was done 100 years ago, I'm not offending the ancestors or anything like that. Okay? The, <laughs> the art was designed to be relevant to today. Okay? In fact, that's one of the reasons why it is still a weapon-based art because you know a lot of our martial arts have evolved to being empty hand focused. Um, Filipino martial arts, you know, if you go into any part of the world and you looked at the martial culture of the martial arts that may have existed in that part of the world at any given time, they were they were weapon-centric. <laughs> um, the, the nature of warfare and is the utilization of weaponry. Okay? And so mm -hmm. Um, Filipino martial arts maintained that element through the um, through the years, and, and to this day, as you begin day one, learn how to use weapons, and um, so it's a very relevant art in and of itself. But there's still a lot of traditional elements, training methodologies, double stick training, for example, double knife, stick and knife combinations, long we two-handed weapons, and um, that may not have you know direct obvious application for modern day you know self-defense. Um, so the, the way that I um, teach the art is an integration of um, tactics that are more relevant to um, modern day self-defense to include firearms, you know, firearm, firearm, the application of firearms at close quarters, that, that CQ fit type training methodology that I you know, explained earlier um, and, um, and modern day application of, of knives, you know, what, how do I use edge weapons for modern day's defensive application? And, and not just training the art itself, but um, learning, getting deeper and more direct into the modern application, tactical application of the art to include military and police application also. Oh, okay, awesome, man! It's like the it's like it's something that keeps evolving, uh, which I think is, is always kind of the best because situation dictates tactics, and our situations are always changing. What would you say about EDC knife conversation? What type of EDC knife would you recommend? Uh, versus like a CQB knife and things like that. Yeah, so I'm uh, first and foremost, I'm a big believer in um, uh, any uh, same thing with firearms. Okay, um, any any knife or, or any firearm is going to be better than none. Ever. Now, so we're going to get past that. It's more valuable to me than my two thousand dollar nineteen eleven in my safe at home, right? So, um, so having it with you when you need it is the is the most important thing. Um, and, and a lot of that is because it's not necessarily always just the tool, but it's how you use that tool. Um, as far as EDC type knives, it, you know, there's, there's different things to take into consideration. One is practicality of carry, right? So if it's something that you will actually continue to carry on a daily basis, then there's a lot of value to that, right? Because I might get that cool knife that had a bunch of, you know, um, curb appeal. And um, and I and that's oh that's cool you know I might show my friends carry it around and then when I realize how cumbersome and and, and just inconvenient and annoying that with me on a daily basis it goes in my safe right yeah. and so um, practicality of carry is is an important thing you know um, uh, and then you, from after how practical it is to actually be an actual EDC everyday carry. Then looking at um, the deployment, the, the, um, the so other factors, like if it is practical to carry, then it probably has some good concealability points to it, which gives, you know, that's one, that's one uh, pro to the side of, uh, of a folding knife because they're easier to carry. They, they, they pretty much 
close half the size of what they are when they're open, so they're easier to carry. Yeah. Um, and then looking, then you start looking at you know design features, um, locking mechanisms, um, types of steel and materials that are used in that. Right. So uh, sometimes you know we get carried away with oh it's got to be this you know steel that makes it super you know super special. It stays sharp for 20 years and so on and so forth. But you know what? Let's go back 3,000 years and look at the steel that people were, the types of metal that people were using at that mm. time, and they were yeah. killing each other with them effectively. So it's, all not time. Always, <laughs> it's not always the most expensive steel that might feel, make you feel good about what you're carrying. And, and if it's a utility blade that you use on a regular basis, yeah, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, um, it's, it's just good to have something that's good and functional, um, first and foremost, and then fits your budget. You know, it's this, this, you, can, you can buy a thousand dollar knife or you can buy a forty dollar knife, right? So, and and you, you'll find them in both price ranges that'll do what you want them to do. They'll be dangerous. You know, you go to a prison and people are stabbing each other with sharpened toothbrushes. You know? Yeah. So, uh, you can be deadly with, with either of those. It's just a matter of, you know, what fits your budget and, and so on and so forth. So, um, every day, and like I, and I, I like, uh, I take into consideration for defensive purposes. Um, the deployment um, uh, capacity, okay? how easy it is to get that knife out and open and into your hand under physical um, stress, under, under duress. And um, some are much harder to do. You know, uh, I like for a folding knife, I like pocket deploy type mechanisms. Okay? Like, uh, you, like you'll find with the Emerson Wade, the Bram Frank Bramp, the, um, the Crudo um, uh, um, opening mechanism that he uses. So that helps it to open up as it comes out of the pocket. I like that because it's it's much easier to, to get out into a fighting grip under stress. Um, or a, um, a fixed blade that is appropriate to everyday carry. Okay? Um, I, I designed, uh, and there's other designs that are similar to it, but you know, here's the shameless plug, but I'm, uh, I designed a knife to fit that bill, which is uh, the Manaya um, blade. that uh, I, It's a co-brand I designed with... Um, uh, Bastinelli knives, and um, it's basically a, a modified push dagger, but, but just that T-handle type style makes it easier to carry on your person um, as a fixed blade because I don't have that long handle that's just hard to conceal and it kind of is uncomfortable when I'm bending over and stuff. So um, fixed blades are ideal when practical, in my opinion. They're just easier to get out and into a fighting grip when you need them, but again, when practical. If it's not as practical, then a good folding blade is, uh, like I said, is, it can be good and definitely better than nothing. Yeah, 100%, man. So the knife you'll actually carry <laughs> and, exactly. uh, you know, and something that you can depend on, but really what you'll carry and then get the training to go behind it. I love push daggers, man, because they're simple. Like I feel like they're simpler. You know, it's like everyone knows how to punch. Yeah. Exactly, that, and that's one of the one of the you know selling points, and that's you know is of a, of a push dagger is exactly what you said. I don't need a, a lot of knife fighting training to be able to. You know, if I can just throw my hand out like I'm throwing a punch, then hey, I can be effective with that blade. And so it's very simple yeah. to make an application. Yeah, no, that's cool. And yeah, no, your knife line is sweet. We will for sure put, uh, send me links, man. We'll make sure everyone gets access uh, to that. And, and I've got some really cool stuff coming out. And I'm not just saying that as yeah. a, a salesman, but I got some Go ahead, man. Stuff, yeah, this uh, coming out in the next uh, few months with um, some co-branded stuff with Half Breed Blades. And uh, it used to be called Hardcore Hardware Australia. It's Half Breed Blades. 
And then I've got some a line of knives coming out with Fox Italy and um, Fox knives. So uh, yeah, I've got, I've got some cool stuff, but some some other things coming out in the near future. Nice, good. We'll keep our eyes open for that, man. Heck yeah, that's awesome. That's exciting. Um, are you seeing anything out there, kind of in the industry or on the interwebs, with regards to knife tactics that you'd want to like warn people against? Anything that maybe looking unsafe or dangerous? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I've seen uh, the thing that comes when you ask that question. The first thing that comes to mind, because there's probably uh, a few when I when I really think about it, but is I, I've seen a kind of a concerning prevalence of arts that are teaching um, knife against empty hand tactics. Okay, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying there's no place for that because I could articulate for you pretty easily a situation where I might use a knife against an unarmed individual. But when my whole, the whole premise of my training is how to use a knife against an empty handed individual, um, there's some definite legal concerns that you're going to potentially run into um, with teaching that type of an art, using that type of an art, you know, and defending your use of force. If you did have, and even if it was justified in the situation where you use a knife to defend against someone who was unarmed, but now yeah. it comes out that you're training an art that is based on knives against unarmed individuals. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not, like I said, it's, it's, it's actually a part of Kali, one of the subsystems that you train, but I think it's important to understand the legalities. And if your whole system is based on that, um, that gives me some, uh, some cause for concern um, when you, when, uh, this type of thing. And I'm probably going to get some slack for that for the people that train those arts, but yeah. um, it's, it's, it's when you have to use force and you do what you're going to, you know, you're going to resort to your, to your training. Um, it's just being aware of the legalities um, uh, first and foremost. Yeah. It's uh, it can get a little murdery actually. <laughs> the reason why they call them prison fighting systems, because these guys are in prison for a reason, you know? Yeah, yeah man. No, that's interesting. I was just on with uh, another pretty awesome professional. He was saying the same thing, you know, you have the legal considerations and um, you know, the story that goes with the blade you select and the story that goes with the art that you select to learn from. These are important things that you may have to defend, you know, if you ever have to take the stand. That's good stuff. Yeah. Hardest lessons you've learned in the field doing what you've been doing. That's going to take a little bit of, uh, (laughs) yeah, man. A little bit of thought. You know, um, probably the hardest thing for me um, doing what I do, because I could get into, the discovery of of um, areas of weakness and things, and, and I think it's an important thing to 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 learn and understand. Maybe before you um, before you may need those uh, the skills that that avoid, but um, understanding what what the areas where you are um, deficient, and then understanding that everyone needs to keep growing because there's areas that we can do better at. Um, you know, that's as far as just like what and my, my professional persona as an instructor being on top of that and, and trying to always be my best or do my best to be prepared to handle questions and situations and, 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 and uh, contingencies as they, as they um, come through. Um, I've, you know, uh, I, things that I've been through uh, from a use of force standpoint, personally, I, I because I, I'm, you know, a, I've worked a long time as a police officer and I train quite frequently. I'm what some people might consider 
um, some hard lessons to learn. I just I just chalk it up to inevitable experience, you know, as part yeah. of who you are and what you do. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess one of the hardest things has been, um, you know, occasional, uh, thankfully nothing that has uh, been detrimental, but, you know, hardships on on family as you make career decisions and understand, hey, I may, this, this career decision may take me away from family for long periods of time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and being prepared to, uh, for the, you know, the hardship that may come through because of that. I think that's what probably the hardest thing in my, in the last decade or so for me is just the amount of time I've spent on the road and traveling and, and how that's been harder on my, on my family, but you know, nothing that we weren't able to get through. But yeah. you know the, hard, the, the the trials that come with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I understand that. Like, yeah, especially in my industry, I definitely understand that, man. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a really big deliverable to consider. Uh, what would you say are your proudest moments in the field doing what you're doing? Um, I, I have to say, the, the first thing that would come to my mind, and uh, with that is when I when I get a call from someone or an email from someone that says, "Hey." Um, what what you taught me saved my life today. Yes. What you taught me helped me do my job well today. And those are those. Uh, um, or sometimes I don't even get the call, but I heard through the grapevine, "Hey, so and so did this." And and knowing that you know that was part of the training that you gave them. Those are those proud moments that uh, for me that make kind of things worth worthwhile and the effort that you put into training other individuals. Yeah, man, I think that's. That's for sure one of the most priceless things in the world, in my opinion, you know, is having anything like that. People saying, hey, I was able to do this because of, you know, your influence. Um, it's an invaluable thing. You know, it's like I, I, I uh, focusing on contributing to others is like this, in my opinion, this kind of counterintuitive thing where like, you know, you're serving people. But what I think people on the outside don't realize is, it's one of the most validating and awesome things in the world when it works, you know, that it's like probably one of the best ways to live, you know, it's, uh, that's yeah. awesome. And, and that's, and that, you know, um, when I was still a police academy instructor back um, in the, in the mid, to, mid to late 2000s, I, that, that happened quite frequently because I was around officers on a daily basis that were out in uh, on the field, you know, working on patrol and things of that nature. And, and so I got some great chances to see, um, you know, officers do things that they were trained to do and and, yeah. and handle successfully different situations. And so it's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's good stuff. What would you say about um, one of these? This is one of my new questions. Who would you nominate to come and talk about protection for the podcast? Anyone come to mind that you think the audience would be should yes. check out? Yeah, <laughs> done. Who do, who do we got? Not just because he's, just, I think he's he's great, but I I um I was just communicating with him with him this morning also yeah. to kind of fresh in my mind. But I also uh, think really highly, and, and there's a few I I could I could say, but the, the one that I was uh, communicating with this morning is a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Kenny Bigby Jr. Okay? Hmm. Kenny Never Bigby heard. Jr. Um, Killer B is what they will call Kenny, but uh, he's from uh, Indianapolis area. I, I could, I, this list could go on and I don't want any of my, um, my affiliates to feel like I'm leaving them out because there's a, like 10 in my mind right now <laughs> because we were communicating this morning, Kenny just came to mind and he's, uh, definitely someone that can give some real good and real information to people that are looking for 
ways to protect themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And what's his kind of premise? What's yeah, Kenny? so Kenny's a, he's a, you know, his, his professional background is a, he's a former Navy SEAL. Um, and he now, he now, he now is a professional um, instructor, runs a, a, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in a Muay Thai school in Indiana. He teaches firearms courses. He's actually one of my master instructors for my Tricom program. Wow. And um, you know, one of the first you know, batch of master instructors that went through my uh, my program, and so you know we're, we're um, collaborating on some 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 different uh, projects in the future. But um, just a, a great uh, a great you know uh, very skilled, articulate, and uh, knowledgeable individual. Outstanding, solid. Maybe I'll ask you to make that connection after this, if you don't I, mind. I, absolutely, yeah. Recommend, highly recommended. Very cool. What um. One is one of my favorite questions because we all have these things in us. And then when I ask this question, it just leaves people's minds. What would be a favorite quote or mantra that you live by? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, Got to think, think of that one. Um, <laughs> See, I told you. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, there's so so many philosophies in different parts of, of, uh, of my life. But um, I'll, I'll give you one. Okay. Yes, sir. There are many, and it's this isn't the quote, but it's just a good one. It's one that I live as a use of force instructor. It's one that I I, I teach, you know, I teach frequently, and that's the fight that you will always survive is the one that you were able to avoid. And um, yes, as much as I, I I train and I teach people to be prepared for dangerous situations, um, don't go looking for dangerous situations. You know avoidance, awareness, situational awareness, and and putting yourself in the right. Making good planning and good decisions beforehand will help you to avoid situations that may not be survivable. And so the one, the situation that you will always survive is the one that you've been able to avoid. Heck yeah, one hundred percent. Faster than you foo. Faster than you foo, man. That's right. Yeah. 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 And the social dynamics that go with not even being there in the first place. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, man. Heck yeah. What um, a habit uh, that you think the viewers should look into that can make a better people or better protectors, something to build into their lives. Um, yeah. I mean, I one one of the, the habits that I, in, in addition to obviously, you know, looking for, uh, trying to find ways to, to become a hobby martial artist. Okay. So that's, yes. you know, that, that it's, it's uh, because it's not, it's not easy to create that lifestyle of being a martial artist. And so just kind of learning to, to um, learning to enjoy and appreciate the benefits that come from that. So that it becomes a lifestyle. Um, but the same thing I would say about just general physical fitness, okay? um, physical fitness, is a, a habit that I think I, I highly recommend, and for a few reasons. One is you're, you're, it's it's about self-preservation. You're, you're trying to create a healthier you so that you can protect yourself from potential illnesses and things that may come in the future. Um, yeah. But it also prepares you to be a better protector. You know, the, be the better shape you're in, the better you're going to be able to protect those who depend on you. But I think there's important things. Um, that, uh, you know, I mean, I'm part of the, uh, the Jim Jones um, team and, one of, and our mantra in Jim Jones is the, the mind is primary, okay? And um, if you can overcome the mental hurdles of physical fitness, then that teaches you um, a lot about not just the physical benefits of, of pushing yourself to your limits when you go and work out, but a, a lot about life, you know? If you can be successful at, by... by um, the, the mind is primary. Um, 
and uh, and be uh, be successful in the gym, then discipline and hard work and seeing the benefits of it that will bleed over, in my opinion, to other areas of life also. You know that um, mm-hmm. uh, as a professional, whatever your your pursuits might be, um, it's the same principles in a micro, you know, in a kind of a micro scenario that will help you to be successful in other areas of life. Yeah, no, that's huge. I was talking about it this morning. I was like, people got dreams, but life, like winning the war for your life is a series of battles. Yeah. And you got to win this battle with yourself in the morning and to get high quality habits into your life to live a high quality life. Like it's just it's just where it starts. And you just get so much from physical fitness because it's that discipline of getting yourself to do things you don't want to do and pushing yourself. You, yeah. you, you work out in the morning. I know how strong I am and I know how weak I am right now. Cause I went and hazed myself in the, in the garage. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It, 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 it brings a keen awareness of your, your strengths and your weaknesses. And, yeah. and you know, there's another mantra within Jim Jones, which is find the problem, fix the problem. Right. Which yes. is, you know, you, you, it's hard to find those problems if you aren't find pushing yourself to your limits and, and, and testing yourself and knowing, what those problems are and once you discover them what do i need to do to fix those problems and so um yeah yeah that's good man find the problem fix the problem uh, finding the problem is big yeah it's big you can't be ostrich and, and thinking you're gonna get yourself you know other you know one of the one of my mentors said actually uh something along those lines which was uh it was fix the problem otherwise someone else will <laughs> absolutely you don't want some, you want to discover those weaknesses at the wrong time at the wrong point so, yeah absolutely 100 man uh how would you like to be remembered brother a couple ways um I, I i would like to be remembered as a um uh an honest man of faith who followed his convictions you know um nice. that first and foremost um but on top uh, in addition to that uh, i'd like to be uh, someone that uh, was is remembered as someone that uh, contributed contributed to and inspired individuals to um, to do their best, particularly in my field, to, to be better protectors um, and better equipped to um, accomplish their mission, um, the protective mission, whatever that might be, you know. Um, and, uh, and again, inspires people to do that, but also contributes to people's preparation as, a, as an instructor. So that's, from a professional standpoint, you know, that's 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 good for me, and that's something that I, I would like to be able to contribute to um, as a, as a professional. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I love. There's that word contribution again, man. That's that's just a good place to live, and you know I, I think it's one of the best places to live, and that's that's awesome stuff. Well, it's been an honor to have you on the show, man. We got some good, good, good stuff here. Uh, you know, it's been really interesting digging into your world and learning about your culture as well. You know, uh, I really hope this inspires more people to get into the integrative aspect of all the different force options that are available and learn to use what you got, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's been an honor having you here, man, and, and, and listening and learning from you for sure, Jared. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, it's been an honor and a privilege being invited. So I, uh, I, I appreciate your time. I can. Yeah, no, we're going to do some cool stuff. What, uh, what are you up to these days and where can people find you? Um, yeah, I, I've got basically, you know, my, my central, I guess you could say, website that brings my different um, businesses in together is just jaredwehongi.com, my first and last name.com. People can contact me through there. 
I'm under my name and social media, you know, Facebook and Instagram. People contact me there through there too. Um, nice. And I say, you know, various businesses because, you know, I'm people that are martial artists, whether they're into tactical training or fitness training and, and whatnot. Um, so, but everything is kind of, uh, is, can be located in uh, jaredbihomi.com. Awesome. Now I'm the same way, man. It's just multidimensional, you know, it's different layers, you know, and we just have it one place for you pick what you want. That's I good. Diversify, especially, and, and things just evolve that way naturally too. <laughs> yeah, man. No, that's good. When you have all that inside of you that you can contribute on those levels, that's the main thing. You know, that's cool. Awesome, brother. Well, once again, thank you so much for your time today. This, you. this conversation was fantastic. And I look forward to uh, the next time our paths cross and doing some cool stuff in the future, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, again, the honor, the privilege is all mine. And uh, I, uh, I uh, look forward to, to you know, keeping in contact with you. Awesome, brother. Boom. Boom. Yo, what up? I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. Hey, listen, in order to get more out of the brand, I want to encourage you to go join us on our social media platforms and join us at protectornation.com. We post different types of content on our different platforms at different times. Uh, you'll get blog posts, you'll get videos, you'll get real world combat engagements and things like that. So stay plugged in in order to get the most out of the brand. In order to support us, also go to protectornation.com and buy something or join forces with me on Patreon. You'll scroll down the homepage and you'll see the link. Uh, anything you can give counts, you know, think about whatever you would lose in your cushions or like spend on McDonald's this month, five bucks a month, whatever it is. Uh, that helps, that helps us make the world a better place by making good people dangerous. Anyways, this is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade. And I'll see you on the next piece of content, whether it's a video or podcast out.